the visitor announcement. The gallery closes at 6 p.m. Staff will start closing the galleries at 5 minutes to 6. The National Cafe remains open until 11 Closing now, thank you. Can you make a move, please? Go ahead, Michael. Can you give us a call in the control room, please? My name is Joe. I've been a security Walder for 26 years. My name is Admiral Kual. I've worked here for 28 years. I work as a control room security officer. We start at 8 o'clock in the evening. At summertime it's not too bad, but the winter is rather darkish. Our job is to look around the ceilings and uh, make sure that there's no leaks. And most of the time make sure that the building is secure. We are many, never silent, even in darkness, light sighs from our surfaces like sap from wounded trees. We demand your eyes and meet them with a multiplicity of our own. We are never alone. My name is Tracy Chevalier. I'm the author of five novels, the best known being Girl with a Pearl Earring, which is a novel about a Vermeer painting. We're standing in a dark room with just a little light from the edge. And you can more or less make out the paintings, what they are. As our light, as our eyes get closer, better uh, adjusted to the dark, you can see. It does feel like they're all um, asleep. These paintings are asleep and <laughs> they've been here all day and everybody's been looking at them and they're exhausted. They don't want to tell their stories anymore so it's dark and they're quiet and they're all sleeping just the way we do. And now we're going to wake them up. I feel so sorry for them. But it's almost like the, the paintings have to sort of regain their energy. They have to recharge. So they're at night. They have their downtime. But boy, do you feel them when you walk through, even in the dark rooms. These, this intense kind of feeling of presence. Presence the way people have a presence. Sometimes it's a very, you get a very weird feeling. Because when you walk up close to it and you look at it, the eyes follow you from right to left. Whatever movement you are, uh, move, the actual eyes, you get a feeling that the person is watching you. I'm Marina Warner and um, I'm a writer principally and I also teach at the University of Essex. I've written quite a lot about myths and legends and people's beliefs. One of the oldest ideas probably in mythology about art is that it comes to life. The, the, the best-known story is Ovid's Pygmalion. Pygmalion decides, it's a misogynist story. Pygmalion decides that all women are wanting, they're, they're, they lack the qualities that he most desires, so he creates, as a sculptor, a statue. And he loves his statue so much because she's exactly what he wants. I mean, this is not really a very nice story. And, um, and he begins to make love to the statue. And then, by a marvellous piece of poetry in Ovid's Metamorphoses, he feels the flesh turn warm under his fingers. And she steps down from the, her pedestal. So this idea that statues have this, um, you know, really potent, uncanny life inside them belongs to 
you know, quite a lot of powerful stories that have had many, many different versions and variations written about them. If you drink a painting for long enough, you can breathe it into life. We slip in and out of the landscapes, their swirling impressions of green pathways leading deep into other worlds as we breathe our mythic conversations. A language of starry nights and crucifixions, doorways within doorways, the magic of time travel after midnight, when the gardens breathe shifting skies, the horse gallops free from the frame, and we are no longer a single expression, a moment frozen but all the hundreds of years that have danced in the moonlight, we echo to each other. It's got this quality of silence that is rather different from total silence, and that's what's eerie. Something about the, the people who've all gone, the visitors, leaves behind some vibration in the air, but also that the quality of all these paintings changes the actual atmosphere technically so that this is a, a, a living place, not a... it doesn't turn dead at all. I wouldn't want to say that this was a kind of sacred feeling, um, but it, it's a kind of nuance of the sacred. There's, there's something close to that. You feel awed and, um, and stirred. You know, it, it's, it's, it's got a sort of musical quality. It touches you wordlessly. Well, night time is good because... Nighttime, you can actually sit down and let your mind go, and and let the paintings take you over. You can you can actually let yourself go into the paintings, and sometimes you see things what you don't normally do um, during the daytime because during the daytime you've got the clutter of the people walking, of children whispering, and it's a, it's a kind of a buzzing noise in the gallery all all the time. But at nighttime, it's it's peace, and the gallery is peace, and sometimes when there is peace, mind plays tricks. I'm hearing all sort of noise. Some of the places you go is spooky and scary, and you feel like your hair is up, you know? But again, uh, it's a job you're doing. But the areas I like to avoid is the basement area. I could hear a ball and chain following me all the time. And I was really scared because I don't normally believe in ghosts. But it had me going for a good, a good year. Till once I was walking down there and I found out that it was the Victoria line. It was the workers working on, on the lines at night time. When I go down that area... I feel my hair is go up, you know. That is uh, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, it's so quiet down there. And suddenly when you hear some noise, you say, oh my God, what is it? You just feel so scary, you know. You want to get out of there as quick as possible. It's almost, the sounds are almost like a prison. You hear these doors kind of cracking shut and open and these clunk, clunk, clunk of the feet going down. And it's like the, the paintings have been stuck here and they're imprisoned. 
And that's the funny thing about these paintings is that they don't escape, you know. They don't escape the frame and they don't escape where they are. They're always going to be here. Even if you move them on a wall, they're really going to stay in the National Gallery unless they're let out for good behavior on to some exhibition, traveling exhibition. Then they'll go off for a little while and then they'll come back. But it's all the same. A wall is a wall, isn't it? We echo to each other. Who suffered most, who sat for longest, who's been restored, who got hidden during the war, who's been painting of the month, turned into a postcard, reprinted and sold a million times, catalogued, downloaded, our faces pressed and contorted. It seemed like flattery once, but in the hushed quiet of our own eternal night, we can't help but resent all this endless watching. We never realize that life is just a rough sketching, but now find we are layers and layers of everyone who ever looked at us. Freud's essay on the uncanny translates the German word unheimlich, and unheimlich actually means unhomely, literally, heimlich home. And possibly another English translation would be uneasy, in the sense that home is kind of easeful, a place where one's comfortable, and what is uneasy is where one's uncomfortable. But, of course, what Freud put his finger on was that this is somewhere in a sense that we want to be as well. It isn't just repellent. This disturbance of the senses, this idea that there is something both familiar and unfamiliar at the same time happening, has an incredibly powerful attraction, and it's an erotic attraction. I very much like the idea that what is truly deeply disturbing is the nearly animate and it's the absence of soul, it's the absence of spirit, that kind of inertia and that really makes one feel clammy and one wants to supply it. And I'm interested in playing and make-believe because I think that a lot of playing and make-believe that children do actually attempts to supply this missing animation. They make their dolls play, they move their figures about, you know, with Playmobil or whatever. They, they try and breathe into it. And I think some of our creative urges later in life, which we see expressed in, you know, quite a lot of high art, is also a, a quality of bringing, of refusing this kind of image of death, this image of the inanimate, and bringing things to, to warm life. And it does stave off the fear of death at a very deep level that doesn't have to be conscious. This is not a sort of conscious process. This is an unconscious process of attraction and fear at the same time. Sometimes it reminds me that my time will come sometime and my time is close because <laughs> I'm coming to retirement soon. And when you come to retirement, it means time to go. So sometimes when I'm in front of the altarpieces, I says, it's time to say your prayers, Joe, because <laughs> it'll be judgment day someday. <laughs> I think the thing that's so captivating about a museum at night is the, the philosophical notion of if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there, do you, does it make a sound? I know it sounds crazy, but if there's nobody here to look at these paintings, do these paintings actually matter do they they do exist i accept that they exist but do they do they matter and i i think i found as a writer um, that my work my books don't 
fully exist until the reader reads them. It's like a contract between the reader and the writer, and I present something, I give something to the reader, they read it, and between the two of us we make the whole work. And I think paintings are the same thing, any kind of artwork is the same. The painter paints a painting, and but what does it matter unless we actually look at it? So it's very curious to see it at night, like to come in when the, we came in just a minute ago and the lights were all dark and we couldn't see anything and we knew the paintings were there, but did they have that? Uh, did they have that power? And oddly enough, sitting here in the dark when I couldn't see them, it took my eyes a few minutes to adjust. I still felt like they did. It was like they were zinging off the walls. There's like this buzz. You demand that we remain constant when sound folds itself into empty vaults of air and the last light fades like the dying echo of final footfall, we exhale. Well, in the morning, about five o'clock, it's still kind of like quietish. You can start hearing the birds outside actually chippering, chippering, maybe it's their breakfast time, but you're actually going to hear them. And the next minute you get the buzzing noise on the door. And guess what's coming in? The karma is gone, everything's gone. It's bells ringing, phones ringing, and that's the cleaners, the contractors, the people who repair the doors. It's like um, there's a load of bees in the air, everything is busy. And, and you get feeling that the paintings are getting very busy and they're getting very tired and they're waiting for me to get here at eight o'clock and give them some free space and freedom. <laughs> 